The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the July 14th edition of the Rotor World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Gallagher, and I'm not going to bury the lead here. And just wanted to say this is my last podcast for the Rotor World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. We've got uh, some new stuff ahead, and it's I am I'm speechless. Uh, it's been eight years. Been running this podcast since 2015, I believe. It's really grown. It was the first podcast on the NBC Sports Network, and it's turned into something that I really love and I'm really proud of. So this edition, we're going to actually talk a little. I've wanted to do this for a while. Kind of like our histories in fantasy industry, and Dr. A has been in for so long, Ryan before me, so we just wanted to kind of talk about that, I still see many people do that. So with me to do so is Dr. A, Stephen Alexander, and Ryan Knoss. What's up, Steve? What's going on? How are you doing? It's a sad day, sad day in Roto World history. <laughs> How are you doing, Ryan? The, the beast. The beast, Mike Gallagher's last podcast. Yeah, yeah. Steve has given appellations, little nicknames to everyone on the crew, and Mike, Mike is the beast, man. You, you've held it down for so long, as you said. You, you know, you got this podcast up off the ground, and it's going to be strange starting this. You know, we're, we're heading into uncharted waters anyway with this weird restart, and then the super quick turnaround to 2021, and it's going to be weird not having you on board. But um, it's been a, a fun ride, man. Eight eight years, you say, right? Yep. 2012 and uh, yeah we're gonna talk a little bit about this too so i'll just lead with this just when i started um i'll never forget the first blurb steve trained me with steve was my first training shift it was the weirdest thing man it was like some dennis scott quote about leandro barbosa and i was like all right here here we go (laughs) (laughs) it was like this isn't really newsy but i was like all right cool let's do it uh and then the best part is my first shift by myself no one training it was a night shift and it was the night of the Dwight Howard Lakers trade. By myself, I like texted <laughs> Steve, like, "Oh my god, uh, I'm getting." It was it was like a 14 player trade, huge news. I was all by myself, and like I got it all done. And like Steve came back, was like, "You got it." <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So Steve kind of knew he he made the right move to bring me on uh, after that there first one. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something to me about an email you got from me or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, I kind of want to okay, go over we'll, we'll like, background. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, we, I just want to talk about, like, I love, my favorite podcasts I listen to are the ones from, like, people who have, like, fantasy careers and how they started and where they made breaks, big breaks, risks, risks they took that worked out, ones that didn't. So um, I kind of want to do that here just because I respect you guys so much and, like, I still can't believe I'm leaving. But um, I know Steve, I, I will just lead with, one of the reasons I got into fantasy so much was watching you and Rick Campbell, uh on NBA TV late night uh, talking fantasy. I would not miss that like ever. Um, and my girlfriend at the time was so she hated Campbell so much for some reason because <laughs> I would always watch that show. And um, yeah, it just it just took my my passion for fantasy hoops to a whole level. So I just wanted to hear. We'll hit Ryan too, but I wanted to hear like Steve's kind of like what got him into fantasy and all that good stuff. Well, 
Um, I know this is this is Mike's show, but I, I'm going to talk for a minute here because uh, in like 19, I started playing fantasy baseball in 1992 or 93, um, and then somewhere around 98 or 99, my friend John Dishiger was like, "Dude, have you seen this website Roto World?" And I was like, "No," <laughs> and I didn't really pay attention to it. And he sent me a link, and I went there and checked it out. I was like, "Ooh, this is this is cool." I got, this is something that I don't think very many people know about. This is going to give me a, you know, an edge on the competition. So I started, I just kind of became a Roto World fanatic. I think Roto World started in 98 and I got in, I got into it, I think in 99. And then I think in 2000, uh, I started bugging Matthew Pouliot, who at that time was writing all the football, baseball and basketball blurbs by himself, which... Mm -hmm. I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, and, you know, we would email back and forth, and we kind of became friends, and he was like, yeah, dude, he's like, I I, I work, you know, 24 hours a day. Yeah, I, and I was like, well, you know, I can write, man. Let me let me do some blurbs. So I remember he, he – I never talked to him on the phone. He just emailed me a password to get into admin. He didn't even really – he just emailed me how to post a blurb. And he's like, here, just uh, cover these three games on Tuesday night. We'll see how it goes. I was like, okay. So I, I remember I wrote blurbs, and one of them was a Dirk Nowitzki blurb. <laughs> and uh, he's like, dude, why'd you why do you blurb Dirk? And I was like, because he had like 24 points and eight rebounds and five assists and two blocks. He's like, he does that every night. That's not news. <laughs> you don't need to blurb that. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he let me do it again the next Tuesday. I ended up doing Tuesday nights, I think, for like a year or maybe even two years without anybody at Roto World in the management team. Didn't People didn't even know I existed. Um, I wasn't getting paid. I wasn't. They didn't have my social security number, nothing. I was just sort of working. And uh I, I know that when we used to be able to get into the old administrative system, I could see my employee ID number, and I, I'm employee ID number 10. <laughs> um, there's probably hundreds of people at Roto World now. So so that was pretty pretty wild. And then I think in 2001, so I wrote in 2000, I, I did blurbs. And then I think in 2001, like I said, they didn't know I existed, and, and I saw some sort of communication about the plan for the following year, and I was not included in it. And uh, my buddy, John Dishinger, the guy that introduced me to Roto World, wrote to Rick Wolf, who was working at Roto World at the time. And he's like, dude, where's Doc, Where's Steve Alexander? You know, he's, he's, he's a great writer. He needs to be included in this. And, and Rick Wolf, like, contacted me, I, I believe, and said, I got this email. Like, what's going on? I'm like, well, I, I've been writing blurbs for you guys. I want to do it again next year. He's like, oh, okay. Well, okay, you can keep doing Tuesday nights. And uh, – so the, Matthew Berry was at Roto World at that time. He had a column called Town and Mr. Roto, you know, his nickname. And I thought I needed a nickname. So <laughs> my buddy Keelan Mark, who's now principal of a high school in Indianapolis, he said that I should be Dr. A. So I bugged Rick Wolf to let me write a column. Uh, it was called Ask Dr. A. And it was just like <laughs> a mailbag. So I would answer answer questions through the mailbag. I started writing in that column. I think that's the first time I got paid. And I, I got 25 bucks a week for the column. Uh, I started doing some blurbs. And the bottom line was, I think by 2002, I was getting like 100 bucks a week to work at Roto World. <laughs> and uh, Matthew Barry left in 2003. 
and that was when I sort of kicked it into high gear and, you know, Barry was gone. I think I wrote, started writing a second column. Uh, Rick Wolf called me one day. He goes, Hey man, can you write a draft guide for us? And I was like, of course I can. <laughs> and I, I had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, I ended up, you know, writing 300 player profiles by myself, projections by myself. It was all in a word document. I sent it off to somebody and they, they put it all into, they made it into a draft guide. So I think I, my first draft guide was probably 2003, maybe 2002. And then 2004, my wife and I packed up all of our stuff and moved from Indiana to Georgia. I quit my corporate job at a company called American Funds, mutual fund company. I remember walking into my boss's office and told her I was moving to the mountains of Georgia, quitting my job. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> she just thought that I was absolutely insane. I had three little <laughs> kids at the time. Moved here. Greg Rosenthal, uh, football writer for Roto World, now with NFL.com. Uh, he called me up one day and he's like, hey, man, can you write Arena League football? And I was like, of course I can. <laughs> so I started doing Arena League football news, golf news, what? and NBA news. Those were my three jams. I was doing a, a PGA Tour column every week, making my predictions. I was doing basketball columns. And I think I even was writing like an Arena Football League column once a week. Presumably, and, uh, you knew nothing about Arena League football before doing this, right? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I got yelled at one time by Troy Bergeron's agent. I think he's a wide receiver for Atlanta. And uh, his agent was mad about something I wrote. And uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was just insane. And so I was doing all that. And then I, I pretty much was working full time from 2004 to 2006. And then 2006, we got a phone call that Roto World had been purchased by NBC Sports, NBC Universal, or whatever it was at the time. And, uh, I was like, oh, my gosh. And they're like, okay, you're going to get a call from one of the executives, like, you know, one of um, one of the big guys at, at NBC was going to call and, and negotiate, you know, your contract and, and all this stuff. And I, I had no idea what I was doing again. I, I didn't have an agent. I didn't – I still don't have an agent. I've, I've always just done it myself. But uh, I got through that renegotiated and all that and ended up being a full-time salary guy. I got benefits. I was sort of like right back where I was when I, when I left Indy and it's just, it's just a Cinderella story that doesn't really make that much sense <laughs> even today. Uh, and then the Kamala part of it is funny too, because right, you know, I was watching Kamala every single night, just like Mike Gallagher was. And uh, <laughs> he had a live fantasy show for a half hour at like one o'clock in the morning, every night on NBA TV and I would call in as Dr. A, and he he, he and I kind of bonded, and, and he knew that I was writing for Roto World, which, and he loves Roto World. He still uses Roto World every day to this day, and uh, we kind of became buddies, and, and whenever I would call in the show, they they put me right through, and we'd have a good old time. And uh, funny thing, in like 2006, Kamala... NBA TV got bought by Turner and Kamala had to move from Connecticut to Atlanta. And when he moved to Atlanta, he didn't have a place to live. And he's like, Hey man, I don't have a place to live. I was like, come live with me. So huh. Kamala was my roommate for like six months. I remember you wow. saying that. I didn't know that. That was a, that was a pretty intense uh, <laughs> six months of my life. Like he would get home from, he would get home from NBA TV at like three o'clock in the morning. And we would sit down in my family room and play. We, 
golf and we basketball, we baseball and drink beer and, and just act like frat bros uh, till like eight o'clock in the morning. It was it was a pretty uh, incredible time. So good. if only that were aired. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's my that's my story. Incredible, man. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, you you want to get in there for yours? Yeah, I mean, I I don't have any high contacts. Uh, you know, yeah. didn't meet Rick Hamill or anything. But I, basically, Steve was my was my point man to to get into fantasy basketball. I fell in love with it. I think in college, you know, I started playing as a freshman in college. I, I loved basketball growing up. I'm a Sonics fan, even though I grew up in New Jersey. So I, I'd record all the playoff games on VHS, and you know, <laughs> just lo- loved the game, playing pickup basketball games and so forth. So I was just sort of inundated with it and when i went to college i was a uh, english major so i wanted to write and when i got to college you know a group of friends were like hey you want to play this fantasy basketball game i had never heard of it great sign me up 20 bucks each uh won the first time i ever played one mm-hmm. so when you know you walk away with a couple couple hundred bucks you're like all right <laughs> I, could, I could do this and yeah, and it was just so much fun. And I think it truly sank in for me when I studied abroad. I went to Scotland and I felt pretty isolated. You know, you don't know anybody. You're, you're missing your friends and your family. But fantasy basketball was a way I could go to the computer lab on campus and just sign in and like and then see the, the, the smack talk, you know, chat board and just just talk to friends. And it just felt like I was still part of that community. And that really like it sunk in. Like I remember just tracking box scores that's what really like honed it in for me. It was just every single game, diving into box scores, looking at night after night after night, who's doing what, you know, what team were they playing against? Why did they maybe, you know, go off on this day? And then trying to orchestrate tr- orchestrate trades from across the Atlantic. And then I was hooked. It was it was from there. It was on, but. You know, I was an English major and fantasy sports writing wasn't even in my purview. I, you know, I wanted to be a creative writer, write for newspapers, but newspapers were collapsing at the time when I graduated from college. So I was working at, you know, restaurants. I was the manager of a pizza place, a take and bake Pop- Papa Murphy's <laughs> in, in, in Oregon. Uh, I worked quality control at a salmon cannery in Alaska in Naknek at the base of the Aleutian Islands for a while. Um, uh, worked in, you know, lived in Iowa City for a while. And then eventually I was like, okay, I need to get paid to write. Like, like <laughs> this is my skill. How do I do this? So I sent out a bunch of query letters to various magazines, this and this. And I loved Roto World. I was, I, I read Dr. A religiously. <laughs> I read, you know, everything Roto World. And they were the reason for my fantasy success. So I was like, I want to be part of that. So I sent um, a write-up of the, I want to say 20, it was a preview of the 2006 or 2007 Knicks team Knicks, when I yeah. yeah when Isaiah Thomas was was the coach <laughs> and I was I was harsh like I, I just laid into every everybody and everything <laughs> Stefan Marbury uh Zach Randolph uh, Jamal Crawford was there at the time I, I can't remember who else but it was like it was scorched earth <laughs> and, and I was just trying to get people's attention and apparently it did it got it got pinged around I sent it to the wrong person I think and eventually it found its way to Steve and he emailed me and was like hey we have Monday morning shifts available so I said oh, great sign me up so I, I started working Monday morning shifts for I think 30 bucks up there 35 dollars <laughs> a, a, a pop and uh, and then little by little like I just kind of you know, like a tick, I just stayed stayed on, and uh, 
and made myself invaluable and worked and worked. And I, I mean, I love this job and it's been great meeting guys like, like you, Mike and Steve and Jonas and Jared, like it's, it's a really great community and all the readers and you get such great feedback and being able to do video work now and podcasts and the way it expands and now DFS, which wasn't even a thing when we started suddenly, suddenly that's like a whole new Vista for fantasy sports. So it's been a lot of fun and, and I get paid to write about something I love, you know, yeah. like w what more could I ask for? So that's true. I also looked, looked it up, Steve, by the way, I went hunting for that query letter I sent. It was, uh, September 10th, 2007, and I, I, don't, I never delete emails, so you and I, Steve, have 4,239 emails on which we, <laughs> uh, on which we are both uh, either like directly between <laughs> us or CC'd. <laughs> That's crazy. Surprised it's not more. Yeah. No, yeah, no. Yeah. We were too busy writing blurbs to write emails. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many blurbs I've written, man. It's insane. Yeah. All right, well, my did, turn. How oh, did sorry. you... Yes. become part of this fold alright so I'll go back when I was a kid obviously I loved basketball and I think probably one of the, the funniest stories uh, if I think back at it is back in 6th grade uh, I played rec basketball and I'm just hyper competitive always have been and it was you know it was just rec basketball and so one thing I would do would be and I was always like the primary defender that, that was like I prided myself on defense right so, you know, the nights that it was rec basketball, even the nights when your team wasn't playing, I would still finish my homework, call a friend and his mom or whoever, dad. I was like, hey, give me a ride. And I would watch all the games. Like, the games that wasn't in, I'd basically be scouting. And um, I, went to, I went to every single rec basketball game um, for, for that year. And, like, the commissioner slash one of the coaches, like, he was, like, just baffled by, like, what are you doing? Uh, and I think that kind of just sums up who I am, I guess. It really, but, uh, it really does. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, he gave me an award for being called a gym rat. Like it was like the funniest thing. But, um, yeah. So fast forward, I never really knew what I wanted to do with my life for most of it. Um, you know, um, I went to college I went to Rutgers I changed my major seriously probably like six times. Um, wasn't, you know, my third year, I didn't even know what, where I was. I was still not close to graduating cause I changed my major so many times. And so my parents were moving out to Arizona and I was like, all right, I, mean, I like my friends, but I'm close to my family. Let's move to Arizona. So I moved to Arizona. You know, I was like, all right, you know, I'll just put school on hold. I don't even know what I, what I want to do with my life. So whatever, you know, I'll figure it out. And when I do, I'll go for it. All right. So meantime, I'm doing all these sales jobs that I hate, um, which I mean, I kind of like sales, but I was like, I never really had a job that I really truly enjoyed and was passionate about. And so just like, all right, um, and then one day I was just like, dude, what am I doing here? So um, I was like, all right, I need a plan. And my plan was I spent hours and hours and hours on end playing fantasy. You know, I would I would be like, Ryan, to the, the first, I think, seven leagues I joined, like I was third in one and I won all the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, I've got to be, I've got to do something in fantasy. I love yeah. fantasy football. I love fantasy basketball. I love fantasy baseball. And I just saw that there besides like Dr. A and there really weren't a whole lot of people that were covering basketball, like say football. So I was like, all right, I feel like there's a, an opening here for someone who does a little bit more of different kind of analysis and kind of approaches the game a different way. So I was like, all right, someone's going to bring me on somewhere where I could write and do some, cause I obviously care about it and I know I'm good at fantasy. So, you know, I just started emailing sites. Um, I didn't even bother emailing Rotorworld cause I didn't even think they'd consider me cause I'm just starting. And meanwhile, by the way, I hated English. 
Um, every single English teacher I've ever had in my entire life, I could not stand them. Um, I got roasted publicly in my English 101 class because, yeah, well, so I deserved it. So it was like this, it had a minimum word count and, um, I didn't even know where I was going. I was like, all right. So I started talking about like TV advertising on like something that had nothing to do with it. And he's like, he he, like called on me and I was like, oh, it's for shame. But, um, anyways, yeah, so I hated English. So I always thought I'd be good at sports writing, but I was like, dude, I hate English. I don't want to have to do this. But then once I started, um, I started writing basically for free on a site called fantasybasketball.com. I actually used to work with uh, Justin Fan briefly. Um, and then another, I worked for SB Nation as well, barely getting paid. Um, you know, maybe I'd get 20 bucks a month, something like that, while I was doing mm-hmm. these side jobs. And then also, um, overlap. I was like, all right, my mom's a pharmacist. I like pharmacy. It's a good, you know, high pay. So I'm going to go back to school, go to community college for a couple years, you know, slowly while I'm still working, and then go for pharmacy and just write on the side about fantasy. And so, yeah, I was writing for, you know, good two, three years. I started my own site, which actually was a pretty sick domain. It was h2hfantasy.com, which is probably a pretty good SEO-friendly name. And, um, yeah, I was just like, you know, I made, I made a little mock draft for fantasybasketball.com, and I had tweeted Steve, like, hey, can you get in this mock draft with me? And I was going to write it up. And Steve followed me back on Twitter. And so fast forward then. When it, so I got I eventually finished my undergrad, and I had took my PCATs, and I was getting ready to hmm. um, book my flights to go to Missouri, California, um, one other place. And uh, there was another place in Arizona that tried, you know, set up my interviews to where I would go for grad school to get my PharmD. And so it was a Saturday. I wake up to an email from Steve, and he's like, hey, would you consider joining NBC Rotor World uh, to write about basketball? And like, I knew right away, I was like, yeah, for sure. I'm totally going to do this. This is what I've been doing on the side for free, basically. Like, Obviously, I'm passionate about this. I know I'll be really good at it, and I'll try really hard. So I was like, yeah, I'm totally in. Um, I, didn't, I didn't send back it. So I told my parents, I'm really close to my parents, and my dad's like, you idiot, what are you doing? You've been going to school for so long. And you had a plan, and you're going to throw it all away because you want to run about basketball. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I started. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. Like, I just woke up to that email. I was like, oh, my life's just changing right now. And, yeah, eight, eight years later, uh, with probably close to 100,000 blurbs. I was say, uh, just crushed it ever since. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to do it, you know, if I'm going to throw this, yeah. fantasy, uh, this uh, pharmacy thing away. I got to go all out, and yeah, I've been. It's crazy. Um, I, I never well, thought I'd you, be this. You mentioned that uh, the Dwight Howard trade when you were by yourself, and you you knocked all those out. Like I read all that, and I was like, okay, this, this guy, this, this guy's an animal. <laughs> like, I, I knew right then. I was like, I don't, I don't have to worry about him. Like I, I, I think right after it. that, I just started giving you your your own shifts, and and didn't worry about it. Like he's he's gonna he's gonna. I know, just like you were talking about being obsessed at rec, the rec league, you know, scouting teams. It reminds me of you going to Vegas for summer league and yep. being so into summer league and and just into blurbs and into Twitter and into into the news and into writing it as fast as you could. Like nobody was as fast as you. Nobody saw Ryan. the tweet come out as fast as you did. I, you just, it's incredible. I mean, you're really. You you were really good at what you did. <laughs> Thanks. I learned from the best. Like uh, I mentioned, um, 
I without you guys, I would not be anywhere nearly good as I am. Like like I said, I hated English, and learning from Ryan was like I couldn't pick another person. Uh, so because and Steve also just like learning the ins and outs, but Ryan just being such a precise writer was like mm. really took me to another level and really understanding English language. I mean, I wasn't like a horrible writer, but no, no, compared no. to where I was back then to where I am now, um, I owe you guys huge, huge thanks. Nice, man. I mean, I would, th- that's nice to hear. And I would say you can talk to someone. I mean, I've, I've trained probably dozens of people at this point and only a handful have actually picked up what I'm, what I'm trying to put down. You, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, so you, yeah, you were fantastic. You, I mean, you still are and, and you, you just have the facility You're yeah, you're, you're great at it. Yeah. And, and it's I, funny. It's yeah. Good. Oh, it's funny what you said about your, I was, I'm just hearkening back to when you said that your dad was like, why are you throwing this all away? Because my parents, you know, super supportive of me, et cetera. But they had the same reaction. They're like, so what? <laughs> You're What's... writing about fantasy basketball? <laughs> and like and like nobody understood it. Like my extended family, you know, try to explain that to a 70-year-old uncle like they they just have no clue what you're talking about well dude that's, <laughs> like, so, that's so great too because my boss um my boss at american funds corinne used to pull me in her office and she'd be like look you've got to stop whatever this fantasy sports thing is doing <laughs> at work like I, i've heard that people come to your desk and they're talking to you about golf and they're talking to you about <laughs> basketball and baseball and I'm like, awesome. well you know the person that's usually at my desk is lg and lg was the dude he was the general manager of the indianapolis office like he was the big dog and uh he was he was at my desk probably five hours a week talking about our fantasy leagues and and he would take me to go play golf and, and it was just it was crazy and so then when i told her i was quitting and i might go try to do fantasy sports for a living she's like you're insane. Like this is this makes no sense. You're an idiot. And so many people told me I was crazy. Yeah. And um, the funny thing is, twenty years later, I'm still doing this, or fifteen years, whatever yeah. it is, um, still doing this. And if I would have stayed at that company, they laid so many people off in like 2006, and I, I would have been wow. gone. I would have been gone. So I mean, it was just, it was just, it just all worked out perfectly. But it, the whole, you're crazy. What are you doing? I think it's awesome that all three of us have that same yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, they would see like they don't really know. Like we spend, I seriously, the amount of time I spend playing fantasy and researching my own teams, and anyone out there listening, you probably are the same. You know, just mm-hmm. bet, basically, it's a whole bet, on, and we all just bet on ourselves, and we're like, all right, we love this. Right. Um, you know, the, and we'll, the, the put, crazy thing is too, you you can't watch a sports broadcast today without them talking about fantasy. Yeah, like, it doesn't football. matter what sport, it, it comes yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially football, but even basketball, you know, yeah. like it's, it's totally become yeah. the reason a lot of people watch, still watch sports because with, with the the landscape and some of the things that have gone down the last 20 years, you know, without gambling and fantasy, I think sports, well, they clearly would not be nearly as, as popular as they are. Yeah. So no, and it, and it gives out of market people an incentive. Like why else am I watching the thunder <laughs> on a given night? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, love of the game, et cetera. But if I own Danilo Gallinari and I need to beat someone in three pointers on a Sunday night, I'm going to tune in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it it really it leads to investment. And yeah. I think 
I think leagues have recognized that. The NBA was a leader in that. MLB has kind of embraced it. Players themselves talk about fantasy sports now and mostly derogatorily. They're like, don't ask me to like <laughs> try to get stats for your fantasy team. But it's it's a conscious thing. Like it, it's just in the air now. Yeah. It's it's part of the sports landscape where it wasn't 20 years ago. So yeah, we're, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and the, the last thing I'll say about the history of it is, is back in 1995, um, 94, baby, I, you know, I was going, getting up at six o'clock in the morning, going to the village pantry and buying a USA today, opening it up. And they had all the stats <laughs> for all the NBA players all on two pages. And I'd get a yardstick out and a highlighter and and then I would sit down and oh, just start man. crunching my hand, league's numbers. Hand tabulating. Hand tabulated and and then I'd have to get I, I'd get it all together and then I'd print it off and go to Kink, Kinkos. Kinkos wasn't even around then, I don't think. I'd go to Wada Copy uh, and make twelve <laughs> copies of these thirteen page documents and then take them to work and distribute them to all the guys in the league. And it, it was just it was just it was a job with outside it was a job i didn't get paid for and yeah um a labor of love and a couple other things too in in that sense so like every year for super bowl probably like 2005 ish to 2000 like 10 ish something like that i basically would do FanDuel DraftKings for super bowl so I would like write out all the prices for the quarterbacks, running backs, all that, and you'd have to make a lineup like exactly how DFS is. But I mean, if I would have just parlayed that into like a business, it would have been crazy. Uh, and then another thing I did too, which is just obsessive, uh, I would make uh, we would do like college football, which I'm not a big college football guy, but it's just like, hey, let's play fantasy. So I'd write up like a cheat sheet for every single bowl player, all their stats, everything on there. Uh, and kind of like rank them based on their performance and all that, and we would just do a draft based on the bowl season. And like it took me so long, and it took I was probably at the computer lab. At, uh, my girlfriend went to U of A at the time, and I was I probably spent like seven hours just putting that whole thing together. And she was like, "You're still doing that?" Like, "Yep, yeah, still doing that." But uh, yeah, it's crazy how much time yeah, we put into it. And I used to work Saturdays at at American Funds, and I used to like write my own NFL draft guide for myself yeah. <laughs> when I was there on Saturdays, you know, without much going on. And, and then the other, the other, the last historical perspective, it was 1994. Uh, my buddy this year who, who I played in fancy leagues with him from the beginning, he and I were waiting for my wife to get off work at like 10 30 at night uh, at a company called RCI. It's a vacation exchange yeah. company in Indianapolis. And the Santa uh, gang, <laughs> She had, she had, her boss had America Online on her computer, and it costs like three dollars a minute to use it or something. She's like, I'm like, hey, are, are there sports scores on on that computer? And she's like, yeah, probably. And I'm like, can we get on there and look at it real quick? And she's like, oh, I don't know, I'll get in trouble. And we're like, no, no, just sign us in real quick. We'll just be real quick. And I remember I got in there. I went to NBA basketball. I went to box scores. And I hit that button, and, and like a Chicago Bulls, New York Knicks full box score popped up in real time in front of me, and I almost had a heart attack. The only the only way I ever saw box scores was wow. in the in Indianapolis the Star the next morning, and it only showed points, rebounds, and assists, and maybe three pointers and free throws and field goals. And uh, to see a real box score on the internet for the first time, I was like, this just changed wow. my life. 
Like everything is different now. That's awesome. Yeah, the inter- without the internet, uh, fantasies certainly wouldn't be as popular. Like that's the most easiest analysis ever. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about, but you kind of touched on it. Um, favorites and kind of least favorite things, um, just about fantasy basketball. I guess I'm going to go first, um, just to set you guys up. So, like, favorites, and we kind of touched on it. I'm just obsessed with new information. And honestly, I like basketball, but I like fantasy way more than I like basketball. Like, I probably wouldn't watch nearly as much basketball without fantasy. And to that point, I don't watch every playoff game but I will watch every single regular season game possible just because there's more fantasy implications for it. And preseason, I won't miss a single game. Summer League, I try to watch every single game. I just love this new stuff because all that new stuff has more weight to it in fantasy and had that impacting rankings, impacting the waiver wire, and all that stuff is just my favorite thing to do. I just love putting values on guys. And um, like I love the preseason grind. Just anything that requires a lot of work but I'm always uh, pleased with the outcomes. Uh, least favorite, I'm pretty sure we all agree. Uh, I hate the whole off-court stuff, you know, guys getting in trouble, uh, and also the the meaningless waving the 17th player off rosters, stuff that has just mm-hmm. no fantasy implications. But yeah, the um, you know the the off off-court stuff uh, is never really fun to write about. Do you want to go? We'll go reverse. Go I have yeah. so yeah. I'll I'll, I'll jump in on the, my least favorite things. I'd say writing like obituaries. Mm. Like you know, a, a former coach has died, and I'm like, oh, it's so hard to write about like yeah. actual grief and real real suffering in the context of we write about fantasy sports, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually just a fun sort of like we, we write entertainment. And we try to inform people and we try to, you know, be as concise and informative as we can be. But sometimes you have to write about something like that. And that I, I just I don't know how to always walk that line. Um, and then in, on a different note, like muscle watch during the summer. Like, I hate that stuff. Like oh, every I love single it. Player has, you, you do love that? I love it. I can't stand it. Like every player has gained fifteen pounds of lean muscle. Hey, well, Great. we okay. Jonathan Isaac was big time muscle watch, and that's part of the reason why he broke out. Well, there are moments, sure, there yeah. are moments, and if there's like photographic evidence, great. But yeah. just in general, just the endless churn of like so and so, blah blah blah. Uh, and then one other thing I thought of was the second round of drafts, where uh, there are three of us usually, and we're we're working a three man weave. Uh, blurb wise but picks are coming like every minute we've never heard of three quarters of these guys and it's like who is Slavo you know like some strange person that's not even in our admin and at a moment's notice we need to add him to the system which Mike you've done a great job of adding these guys ahead of time in recent years but can I add a quick note um oh yeah yeah. go for it Giannis Antetokounmpo we had there was like a, a big thing about we didn't I didn't have any notes on him I'll write about 60 notes or maybe more and Giannis and Bruno Caboclo were the only probably two first-round guys since one of the last five or six years I've been doing the pre-draft notes. We had nothing on those guys. And then Giannis' last name was spelled differently like four different times. So we had oh, to keep yeah. going back into the That's system right. and changing That's his right. last name. It was like a, him, change yeah, it. Yeah, because like, they had it with like a D and all this and that with the spelling. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, it was just kind of crazy. So I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, well, that right. That's the chaos we have to deal with, like towards <laughs> in the midst of a draft, when, and and we try to get them in or in sequence. So we have to say, like, I got number fifty four, whoever that was. Do you have fifty five? You know, and, and then we go and we go and we go. But it's a it's a stressful half hour. 
But Steve, do you have any start starting with your least favorite uh, parts of the job? My least favorite um, month ever was the summer of Le- LeBron. Um, we were getting like seven to ten LeBron updates a day right before he made his decision. And it started off strong and it ended stronger. Like it was every single day we were just writing about LeBron and the Dwayne Wade and the Heat, like nonstop. It felt like um, I did not enjoy the summer of LeBron. COVID um, COVID nineteen level uh, saturation. <laughs> yeah, it was it was intense. Uh, I did not enjoy writing about the malice in the palace when. Huh. The, Pacers lost their mind and started uh, yeah. punching fans, and I thought that we were going to see, you know, hockey glass go up around NBA courts. And <laughs> who knew what was going to happen? Like that was crazy. And another interesting side note on that is I wrote, uh, I wrote about Malice in the Palace right after it happened, and just kind of shared my thoughts of the the horror that I sat and watched on TV that night. And uh, we went out to eat pizza the next day, and Jerry Glanville, the Man in Black. The Falcons coach was sitting at the table next to us by by himself, and I had, for some reason, I had a printed out copy of that column with me, and I said, "Hey, Jerry, did you see the fight last night, the Pacers thing?" He's like, "I heard about it." I said, "Here, I want you to read this," and I gave it to him, and he, he sat there and read that, and then came over and sat with us, and we were talking about it. Like that was wow. a pretty surreal, cool, yeah, that's crazy moment attached to that. And then the other. Other things that I both love and hate is writing about guys that get seriously injured during the mm. game. Um, I saw Gilbert Arenas go down, and before he even got up off the floor, I think he I think he suffered a knee injury or, or something pretty serious. I mean, I was on in admin writing about pick up. I don't even remember who his backup was. Was it Antonio Daniels? Maybe that sounds right. Uh, I think it was Antonio Daniels. I'm like you. Go run, don't walk. Pick up Antonio <laughs> Daniels right now. So, and I felt like mm-hmm. you know that that was helping fans. Yeah, it feels players. dirty sometimes though. Um, yeah. Sean Livingston, I watched him blow his knee out live. That was hard to write about because he his leg was bent sideways and it was just disgusting and terrible. I, I wrote up Elton Brand's ruptured Achilles that happened mm-hmm. like over the summer at midnight on a Saturday or something when that news broke. So that was weird. Um, those are some of the things. I, another yeah. highlight for me was uh, I was on a ESPN Los Angeles radio show, um, and it's funny because you know we are not college basketball experts by any stretch. I don't even know who the college players are until I start studying like two weeks before the draft. But I was on the show, and the guy's like, "Who are the Lakers taking at 10? And I go, "You know, <laughs> oh, I no. really think I really think they're going to take Andrew Bynum." This was 2005, and he's like, I haven't even heard Andrew Bynum's name attached to the Lakers. Are you sure? And I was like, is that what your people are telling you? And I was like, yeah, sure. I, myself in my attic in Dahlonega, Georgia. And uh, <laughs> remarkably, the Lakers took Andrew Bynum at number 10, which I, I, I was so happy about that because I felt like I just crushed it. I was like, I'm getting an Andrew Bynum jersey. He's going to be my boy. That didn't really work out. Uh, <laughs> But then I was I was super high on Eddie Curry in 2001, which is really the first year I, I really started writing. And I remember it was Halloween in 2001. My family was all going out trick or treating. I was like, I'll stay here and ha- hand out candy. I got to watch the Bulls, and I got I'm going to write up this game. And I, I was so fired up about Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler, and uh, that didn't really work out either. 
Yeah. Unless you were looking to win win the turnovers category, then Eddie Curry really really paid off nicely. Though I'll add the the injury parts are rough. Like it's just like, dude, you don't even want to write sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Versus like when where like when hey when Hayward happened, I was on for that. Um, just mm-hmm. like, dude, like he's out for the season, man, and it's just so rough. And you had to just like Weirdly, suck it up and yeah. you know write about the fantasy span on like Jalen Brown's gonna get more usage, which Jalen Brown was horrible that year, by the way. He was great last year, but um, yeah, that that's it's like you're just like, uh, and then to add to that, whenever that happens, just from like a selfish standpoint, you're writing like four or five updates, so it throws off your whole flow. Like when I was on with Boogie tore his, and we had like I think like four blurbs in a matter of an hour, um, just because we had to update. Oh, he went to the locker room. Oh, he's not gonna return. Up, oh, um, believed Achilles, it eh, torn Achilles, and just like every little update we have to get and yeah. analyze it in a different way. Not to mention, each of us probably has six to ten fantasy leagues, and you you know for a fact, <laughs> oh, someone's gonna win from this mm-hmm. on a fantasy point of view. So you have that selfish impulse to like, I need to go add, <laughs> I need to go add, add certain players, but you can't because your job come comes first. Yeah. You need to I inform think... inform people before you do it. So it, there's always like that yeah. push pull, you know. These are two more two more Gallagher things. One is Gallagher is the only guy who is good enough and fast enough at multitasking to go pick up a guy that's going to benefit from an injury while he's writing the injury blurb at the exact same time. Like, yeah, I agree with multiple that. computers. Yeah. Multiple computers. And I'll write the, t- I've, I've always written the top though, <laughs> for the record, computers. I will, I will write, uh, I will write the top, but then I'll get to give myself a good 30 seconds to click, click, click and, Get my ads on. You, you'll write. You'll write the top, and then go pick the guy up, and then hit save. <laughs> yep, <laughs> definitely. And then, uh, so Gallagher is really good at that. And the other thing that's always fun is like picking a guy that you think is going to break out, and uh, then he actually he actually does it. Like you know, I clearly I've been a, on the Luca train, and I don't know if he's been as good as good as I thought he was going to be. I think he is. I mean, yeah. I would still love Luca. I still think he's going to be one of the greatest players ever. And so. You know, having that guy to to talk about all the time, like I love that. And with Gallagher, like CJ McCollum, yeah, uh, there's so many players. Uh, my that my you CJ would, and you... my, when I had CJ one year and then Draymond the next year, go from like very fringy mm. to being stars. Everyone was like, uh, Mike's Mike's a player. Yeah, so, Mike, no. Mike Mike was good. <laughs> Probably the best of all of us at picking out the. The diamonds in the rough that we're gonna yeah. blow up. I just draft so differently because I just draft like Ryan is like so methodical and he doesn't really like kind of go off the beaten path and it's like I feel like I'm such a good compliment to to everyone. Yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm just like I'm, I'm, I'm so ch- I take so, you're point. very numbers driven and I'm always like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have like Shay super high and you're like dude there's no way he's gonna be that good and yeah it's just it's 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 just a good dynamic how we're all it so is different. an interesting push pull yeah, yeah. I, I like. I like having I just, that conversation. I just take my guys. Yeah. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah That's what fantasy is all about, like drafting you know, guys that I know. you enjoy. Different approaches, and, and we all manage to win in various ways. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, other stuff. So I guess this is probably a better question so, for So Steve. what is it? We talked about our least favorite things about the job. Is there, and then Steve mentioned oh, yeah, yeah. a couple of the favorite things, like, you know, Bynum hitting and so forth, but are there other Mike? Do you have favorite? Yeah, I had a couple. Of, yeah, I had I had I led with that with um you know just oh, okay, preseason. Yeah. I like uh oh know, that's right yeah preseason and just like summer league and just learning stuff and just that's right that's yeah right. I, I love okay. it I just love the I just embrace the grind. 
I'm with you. I like to that point. I like finding like a golden nugget of a stat, right? Like, like a player who thrives on, I don't know, cuts being traded to a team that leads the NBA in cuts, like something similar, something actionable, not just like, not just meaningless stats here and there, but something like, Oh, this player will benefit in this situation and you can act on that. And like, feeding that information to owners and other things like i said like i I don't like writing about obituaries where real world collides with fantasy in a bad way but i do like it when it collides in a good way like i i was hearkening back to isaiah thomas when he scored i think 50 or 52 something in an overtime playoff win his his younger sister she was 20 22 years old had just died and it felt like a healing moment. Like it was cathartic for anyone watching him. You're rooting for this guy. You know, you know that he's grieving, and he comes out and just balls out like the like the best game of his life. And it was incredible. It was just a great human moment. And yeah. to write about like to blurb that game is such a good feeling because yeah. you're like, okay, this is reality. And yet I'm writing about fantasy, and they both just interweave, and it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, stuff like that. It's effortless, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, like Kobe's last game and just these other were just like, oh, oh it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To get to put some good vibes out there. and It's pretty cool. Um, so this is probably the best question for Steve. What's changed the most over the last decade or so? <laughs> well, when I started, the only thing we had to go off of was box scores and then the, the AP <laughs> feed. Um you know, and and going through every newspaper in the morning to dig up news. So you you would read, you know, the Chicago Tribune and find out that Eddie Curry may have tweaked an ankle the night before, and and you could take from that that maybe he maybe he's going to miss a game. But double Eddie th- Curry there, references, by the way. <laughs> there was no Twitter. There was no. Uh, there really wasn't much of anything there. You know, you'd find news in the morning and you kind of just chill out throughout the day. There really wasn't any news going on. There was no pregame news, oh, uh, which is hard to days. Yeah. Uh, you, you didn't know who was playing that night, who, who wasn't, uh, you just <laughs> kind of went with it and you, you just kind of chilled out. If, if the game was on TV and you saw it and you saw somebody get hurt, you write it up. But basically we were just interpreting box scores at that point. And then we'd read the AP write up after the game and maybe learn something from that. But, you know, and then later on, uh, RSLs happened and that was sort of like, you could, you could get these articles fed to a feed that you could look at and gather some information out of that. But then when Twitter came along in what, 2006, 2009, somewhere in there, like that, that's when everything changed and it it really became a 24 seven uh, job, which is, which it is right now. It's, it's nuts, but I mean, Twitter changed, changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I, I was super hesitant. I hate social media. I was forced to get an Instagram account from my girlfriend back then. Uh, like I hate it. I've never had Facebook. And so, uh, for a couple of years I was like, I don't want to join Twitter. But then a couple of times I was like, dude, you love fantasy. You don't have Twitter. So eventually I caved and, I was already writing at the time, so I was like sort of kind of selling myself short, and yeah, I, I was under a hundred followers for the longest time, and it's crazy. And then now, like, it's just a lot of stuff I want. But yeah, Twitter is for sure a game changer. Um, I'll, I'll let Ryan go next before I put mine in there. I mean, I'd echo. I, I wasn't back in Steve's day, like 
parsing box scores from actual physical newspapers. <laughs> um, but absolutely, when I started this job, to his point, we that's all we could do. You'd watch the games you could watch, and then you'd read any article you could find from various newspapers. So I had links to, you know, every, you know, the Indianapolis Star, the Minneapolis Tribune, like any, you know, we have links to all these papers. And that's all you could do. You, you read uh, articles from these sports newspapers the day after. And as Steve said, parse box scores as best you could. We were interpreting them. And RSS was like a revolution. Like, oh, now that they all get fed into this feed where you can find all these papers in the same place. And that was, and that was great. And especially as the morning guy, when you're trying to look through news, that was critical. Twitter, as both of you said, absolutely changed the game. It's, uh, to me, I mean, it's better for fantasy players in a way, especially for DFS, because the information comes so fast, you know, at a moment's notice, who's going to play, who isn't, etc. But, as a writer, it's almost like it's too, it's so inundating. Like you just, it's constant. constant I would use constant. the word, I would use the word excruciating. <laughs> yeah. It's just it like hundred, like, yeah. If you so try to follow many. every beat writer for every paper, it's just this. And Mike, I mean, you probably follow even two times as many people as I do. It's just a constant stream of information. Mm -hmm. 80% of which you can disregard and pictures and images and gifs and video it's just all like oh how do i not develop add trying <laughs> trying to sift through this to get to the actual actionable information yeah it's uh and honestly it's changed me as a person like i have the shortest attention span ever because um i don't know i think i've said this before i have 119 people on notifications <laughs> for my phone um, yeah, that's it's uncomfortable. Sick. It's I don't even sick. like. Yeah, that. I can't even like. I can't like have a conversation. Like, I honestly, if I'm doing something, my phone has to be on Do Not Disturb. Um, I can't wait to see how many missed notifications you have at the end of this podcast. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I, I just tweeted. I just tweeted out before I recorded that uh, today's my last day. So yeah, my phone's been. Uh, it's oh, it's pretty yeah, full, sure. but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll take a different way. So um, hmm. obviously, I, I think that the NBA, the way they put out stats was huge and that was one of the reasons why i got so into it is one like one of the first things i did that was kind of not so box score related was shot locations i was really into looking at guys at the rim how well they shot there if they shot you know certain mid-ranges three-pointers three-pointers in the corners that was a lot of information you could digest and have you know whether you could tell if they were sustainable so for like guards that had a good couple months you wanted to figure out why that was happening that was super cool and then the next thing was uh, the lineups. They actually would list, you know, the five-man lineups, how often they were there. So that way you could see, um, if you know um, Popcorn Machine, that was one other site that used to, like, track yep. substitutions. So you could kind of see, like, oh, hey, you know, Gary Trant subs in routinely behind CJ McCollum, you know, going back whenever. You could kind of identify the rotation so you would know if someone got hurt, what would happen. So that was huge. And then... Uh, sports view slash second, second spectrum was a total game changer for how you analyze stats and you could actually see how often guys have the ball in their hands, how often they pass, who they pass to, how successful they are with those passes. Um, uh, synergy as well was huge. Pick and roll, pick and roll ball handler, roll man, transition buckets, all this stuff. You can kind of identify how this team plays. But that, what I've watched in the games, 
Um, Dean Oliver has a, a book called Basketball on Paper, and that's just a great way to describe it. Yep. Is you know you don't have to watch the game; you could really see who did what, what lineups worked, what lineups didn't. And the thing is, and a lot of people dismiss small sample sizes and stuff, but there's a lot of times where coaches will cite net ratings, and that goes through their thought process. So you want to know, like, obviously the coaching decisions matter more than anything in fantasy. So if you know what the coach is going to do in a certain situation against a team, the more information you have to do that, the better off you're going to be for DFS, or even just a pickup for the night, or how you're going to draft, how they want to play fast, all this and that. So it's just, on top of the Twitter stuff, just all the information out there, and then add to there are so many smart data uh, data analysts uh, that do NBA now, and they have so many oh, cool stats yeah. too. Yeah, like you could Seth, ID Seth Part now. Yeah, I mean you can go down the list. Yeah, but yeah they really t- break the of- matchup data. Has um, you could identify which defenders are better point of attack defenders, guys who defend more off ball, guys who defend bigs. You could really just look at that based on the matchup data. Um, so again, it's like serious. If you wanted to be good at this job now, you have to be like totally in on it. Um, just because everyone has this information now and DFS has just made so many people need to know all this. Um, and it's really cool. Ma- matchups are so critical for DFS. Mm. And yep. that's where, that's where like if you have your own custom algorithm that, that factors in home versus away. I mean, who who knows what that'll look like in in the Orlando bubble, yeah. but but right. And then opponents and you know this type of player versus that type of defense, all that stuff. And I didn't bring that up because it, it, that's interesting. Like I guess that has developed in the past yeah. decade. But I, from my own perspective, I went to grad school and got a a master's in public policy, and that got me thinking deeper about how to analyze large data sets. And and then I brought that to the NBA. Yeah. And I, but but that was more like in my own sort of like self evolution. So I di- I didn't really view that as right. Like that information wasn't even accessible twelve yeah. years ago. But but you're right. Like all these websites, like I couldn't even implement this data without, you know, without having it available through Second Spectrum and Synergy and so forth. Yep. Yeah. You could look at like interior defenses. Like the Bucks have a good interior defense. You could look at like on off splits easier now. And uh, interestingly, you mentioned the home road stuff. Hassan Whiteside has 1.3 more blocks per game at home, which is kind of fascinating. Um, like it's like 3.7 versus 2.4, so a huge, huge increase. But um, how would blocks? How would a like home? I mean, the home like school, that, home cooking, my mind. home like, cooking why? a little bit. Yeah, yeah but why blocks? I yeah, yeah, and they're super valuable for fantasy too. So yeah, just like again, it's just like such a you can it's endless. Um, the amount of time you could, and I'll, that's, I love it. Like I'll spend literally all day. Like if you've read my deep dives, I spend the whole day just writing about one player and I could have, I could probably go for three or four days. Um, it's just crazy that, um, it's just fantasies. It's everyone thinks it's like a stupid, silly game. And, uh, there was a couple, there's a football writer. I won't say, but if you're fall football, you know who he is. He's always like, oh yeah, fantasies, you know, it makes it kind of like dumbs it down. Like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much time the fantasy analysts spend looking at like the most minute detail? It's just ridiculous. Um, and all the good fantasy people, you know, they they go out of their way to make sure that all the information is there before they draw conclusions. And just for someone to say that, it's just I always get so mad, and I always just want to add them, which other people do. Like like you can yeah, just don't fantasy is just like everyone who's a fantasy analyst and cares about it is uh, super dedicated. So shouts to everyone. Anything else you guys want to add before we get out of here, Steve? 
Uh, no, I just uh, thank you for everything you did for Roto World and and for your incredible work ethic. And uh, I, I don't know how you were able to do some of the things that you that you did. Not to not to blow too much sunshine here, but <laughs> dude, you were uh, you were you were a monster and. Um, I appreciate it, man. You make you make you make us all look good. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, man. And I will miss you as a colleague, and I look forward to. I mean, I, I know we'll, we'll be in touch, and I'll see your tweets, and I'm sure we'll text and talk and whatnot. But I look forward to seeing where you write next and what you do next, and I'll be keeping an eye on you because uh, it'll probably make me a better DFS player going forward. So, um, yeah, man. Good good luck with the next chapter. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, you guys mean the world to me, man. I mean, I wouldn't have. I, I didn't even know where my life was before I started at Roto World. Uh, so to have a career and to have success with the career, um, I owe it all to you guys, man. Like you guys are just here from, from where I started to where I am now um, to actually be good at being good at something I love is something, you know, everyone dreams about. Um, so I'm just so, so grateful to Roto World and you guys specifically uh, for, for helping me grow and helping me you know, getting in the ins and out in this industry, and it's it's hard. I, I'm like, the last like two weeks here, I'm just like, oh my god, I just I love this job, and uh, just look, I just, it's just crazy. So, um, but yeah, we'll get out of here on that. Um, again, this is I just want to thank you guys so much, man. This is this is the best. Um, so you guys will uh, I won't catch you next time, <laughs> but um, we'll, yeah. do you guys want to say like who is it? Uh, Strope gonna be doing the pod yeah or? i think strop i think strop and i are, are doing a pod on friday and then uh we'll announce at that one what the schedule is going to be it'd probably be two a week nice the nba's back too so it's this is good stuff nba's coming back maybe yeah. <laughs> okay. all, right. all right so signing off here uh you guys take care and thank you guys so much i really appreciate everything you've done hey God thanks Steve, mike The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.